welcome back to Politics and Pints. I'm your host Justine Hughes and I'm here to have conversations with interesting guests about politics over a nice refreshing pint. It's been an interesting week in politics to say the least. We've seen in yet another Prime Minister in Rishi Sunak after Liz Truss holding the post for just 45 days. When everything feels so uncertain and sometimes really a bit scary, I often go out of my way to look for little bits of joy in the world. And the conversation you're about to hear is just that. In this episode, I had a chat with Ben Peachy, who to me is absolute joy personified. I'm not going to go too much into detail about who Ben is in this intro, because I think the episode will speak for itself. And I really hope you love listening to this conversation with Ben just as much as I loved having it. Enjoy. Hi, Ben. Welcome to Politics and Pints. So exciting to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I've been so excited to meet you. Finally. So for those people listening that might not know you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, Hello, everyone. My name is Ben Peachy. My pronouns are they, them. I am a presenter, speaker, author, DE&I consultant. Essentially, I do lots of different things. We're all multi-hyphenates these days and sort of like blur the lines between activism, consultancy, and just being like a fool on the internet like I can be like talking you through inclusive boots or I've just worked on the Virgin Atlantic uniform policy and all those adverts for Michelle Visage like I worked behind the scenes on that like so many different things that I do and uh, yeah very grateful for my career actually. It's such an exciting career like I'm sure and I'm sure I'll find out more in this podcast what I see of you online but it probably even just scratches the surface of what you actually do behind the scenes. So today uh, normally we discuss things over a pint so the whole kind of the idea behind the pint section of this is it's more a cultural context of the openness and honestness of when you're sitting in the pub with a friend having that chat about politics it's not pre-thought about it's totally natural um you don't actually drink we discussed this slightly before the podcast um but i get the feeling from what i know of you already that you don't need that to be that open (laughs) and transparent uh would i be correct yeah you are pretty much (laughs) correct like i am always off the cuff I don't ever think um if someone like for example in a really corporate space is going to bring up the Nazis it'll probably be me I'm going to talk about (laughs) socialism and the rise of the Nazi party in the 30s by accident when we're talking about International Pronouns Day and no yeah I'm sober um I have never drank never really will it's a combination of no grown-up drinks taste nice to me (laughs) who realistically likes beer does anyone (laughs) like beer I really really don't and also it's a control thing for me it's just not something I am comfortable with um like if you've got anxiety uh I guess this is the only downside of being sober I remember everything like I don't have (laughs) the grace of forgetting anything so that's the only like downside of it but yeah sober and it's like um I think it's becoming less of a problem I think there are more and more sober spaces Mm. and I think when you realize that everyone around you is comfortable you can then speak your mind in the same way you maybe would after one or two pints which is nicer but it's I think it's been a struggle for sure Mm. Yeah, and I think the conversation around sobriety is changing, I think. I don't know, I have, I have quite a few friends who are sober and it was almost very much, there's, especially at university and stuff, oh, well, why don't you drink oh. what? Oh, I'm sure you've had that question a million times. Yeah, um, it can be really, really stressful when you're mm. like, no. And it's great if you've got a set of car keys because you can be like, 
I am driving. Mm. But if you haven't, it's like you have to explain. And I think sometimes people, they're expecting like this horror story of why you're sober. Right. You're on your addiction journey. And if anyone is on their addiction journey, good for you. But like, no, I've just never really drank. And it's like, I don't need to give you my life story. And, you know, some people can be fun without alcohol um, or, or in a bit unhinged. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's, uh, and it's interesting. But I think the more people talk about it, the better. And especially in queer spaces, sobriety is quite important mm. for safety and inclusion to feel like you're welcome in a space. Um, so uh, first questions first then. Tell me about your relationship with politics. Are you a political person or are you not? Um, can I just, is anyone not political these days? <laughs> I think it's really interesting that it's almost become, for me, an expectation that we should be political. I think if you are anyone in this world who's marginalized aka anyone who's not a cis white man your existence is political so therefore you have to become political and you would be so surprised if you sort of say to someone oh no i'm not political for example um there's um on tiktok she's a nana i think she's a nurse but she does these cooking videos for like her and her granddad and someone like commented on one of her videos yesterday of being like rishi sunak's prime minister was like i don't do politics never voted in my life and i was like how have you got to like a pensioner age never voting in your life? So yeah, I am really, really political. There was like, there's some like blurry dark years of like voting the same way as my parents and like voting for blue by accident in my like late <laughs> teen years. But yeah, now very political and really do try and keep on top of what's happening. I mean, it used to be a little bit easier and now, I mean, politics changes every single day. But yeah, um, I don't love it, but I am very political. In short answer. <laughs> like you say, you're kind of a naturally political person based on who you are. It's kind mm. of unavoidable. Have you always been that way? I know you said, you know, you voted slightly <sighs> differently. Um, how can you go into a little bit more detail about how your relationship with politics has changed over the years? Yeah. And what's really interesting, I think a lot of people can trace a change back in this country all the way back to Brexit. I remember the day, like, we voted to leave the EU. That was a real awakening for me. I think up until that point, I'd felt quite cushioned and safe that I was um, outside of the decisions that were made in Westminster. Like these would not directly affect me. I felt very much secure that life would follow in a very normal pattern for me. But Brexit was a really big awakening. It was something that over that period of time, I'd really researched, I'd really sort of looked into it. And I was dead set against leaving the EU union. I felt like it was a really big disaster for us. And on that day, I woke up and remember thinking, no one is ever going to do anything for you. And what's more, the choices you're making and the person I am means that those choices are going to be even harder. And so that was sort of my awakening of, if you want things to change, you're going to have to be the one that does that changing. And so that was the day I like signed up for my own website, bought my own domain, realized that I wanted to share my voice, not like overtly political. I wouldn't say my content is ever smashing in the face politics, but there's an undertone if you do anything in like anything to do with social ethics or like just being a decent human being, you have to consider the politics. So that really changed my perception and understanding that who you vote for, who your MP is, is going to have a massive impact on your life. And, you know, if you asked me five years ago, have you ever written to your MP? I'd be like, no. And now I can say over 10, 20, 50 times, I've sent emails to my local MP to try and get things done. Have they been actioned? No, they have not. Mm -hmm. But did I try? Yes, I did. And so that really shifted my perception of what politics meant to me mm, yeah it's kind of 
having almost like an awakening sometimes it does take that horrific thing like brexit or something to that's almost the one positive that comes out of these yeah. things right is that it awakens people and sort of springs people into action and kind of gives people that boost to just be like well yeah if they're not going to do it then who is then i have to be that person to do it yeah absolutely and i think around that same time it was almost like a succession I guess we're kind of around the same generation, right? And it's kind of, there was like a succession of uh, like a, a really, you know, a Tory landslide election, mm. um, Trump getting in in the US, yeah. Brexit, all in really quite close succession. Yeah. It was, for me, it felt like a punch in the face after a punch in the face after a punch in the face, where I think from people around me, it was either people went into total disengagement completely, and I can't do anything about it, or they went totally the other way and went, right, well, we need to change this and became more engaged than they've ever been. Yeah, and as well at the at the same time, so I was studying at a fashion university, we really began to see what had been seen as frivolous art forms using their ability to have a voice. Fashion designers were suddenly campaigning against Brexit, you know, using their shows to show they were having a voice. And it was very much at that time where I realised that communication would be my biggest asset as a skill. And I think up until that point, I thought politics was separate from me. But what I've realised is that our bodies are political, who we are is political and you can't separate the two. And so the the people that have switched off from it and are like apolitical, won't vote, never voted, I find personally very frustrating because there's an opportunity to shift things, to change things. You know, one of the, the biggest demographics in voting is the people that don't, right? Mm. And with a little bit of information and going on a couple of websites, finding who their MP is, finding that voting past, you could make some informed choices and gently shift things. You don't have to be at a rally. You don't have to go and shout at people. You don't have to make placards. You can just do a bit of researching, use your feet, vote for the right person. It's, it's really simple. And I think we should make it quite clear that politics doesn't need to be scary as long as they're switched on to the right thing. Mm. And do you think when you kind of, obviously that was a conscious choice for you to become more engaged and, mm. you know, communicate more freely on these things. And, you know, you say you bought a website domain and all those things. That was obviously a conscious choice. But do you think being somebody outside of the heteronormative, like you're not a cis white man, nope. um, do you think you actually did have a choice or do you think you could have disengaged from it completely or is being who you are, was it your only option? It's a really interesting question and I do quite often get this a lot because there's a lot of queer people that would just like the chance to be themselves left alone a little bit. Sometimes we feel like within our community, if you're not standing up fighting for something, then you're like wasting the space. Mm. I think there is an opportunity to everyone to do something in the right direction, but it has to be at the right pace for you. I personally felt like I didn't have an option. I felt like the riding the wave was the right time this was the time for me to to use my voice in a specific way and it's got me to where i am today so for, you know for every one of me there can be 10 people that do a lot less and that's absolutely fine mm. but it's it's do i have the strength to do this forever no so i hope that my activities my work my job you know every time someone engages with me it gives them a little bit of motivation to do something small something you know in the right meaningful way so that eventually everyone in a small way is more switched on to the conversations and i think that's where activism has a role you know mm. it, it can inspire small changes so that eventually it becomes a surge that we all don't have to do huge things every day if that makes sense mm. And I think there's something, I had a discussion with somebody recently about where the line between 
activism and education is. And I think that's something that probably you and I both have in common where education has to become part of our activism because there's very much a difference between activism that is just, you know, stating your, your stance and kind of shouting and protesting and those kind of things. But you're doing that very much on your own and you mm. shout and you get any point across. But if there are those people that maybe don't have the bandwidth to do that, yeah. you need to kind of, um, by educating them on how they can get involved, it is the like little sprinkling of yeah. giving people that little boost to kind of get involved, even if it's in a tiny little way. And yeah, do you think education is a big part of your activism? Yeah, completely. And I think the tool that helps you achieve that is empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, we often think of empathy of helping those that need us in a like a kindness way or a support kind of way. But empathy can also help you understand those that don't have the same thought process as you, that don't understand the world in the same way, that might not have the same access access to the same amount of resources and so activism with empathy is education right it teaches people in small accessible ways how to change the world around them in the way that they need it and it it allows you to uh in a less confrontational way i think activism quite rightly at the minute has been given a really shit name like if you look mm-hmm. at those stop oil campaigners that are being funded by an oil heiress mm. And that's giving activism a really bad name. Like LGBTQ plus activism is not throwing soup at painting. It's not (laughs) gluing yourself to anything. It's actually about saying, hey, these are the real issues that are affecting human beings, right, in the West, for example, but it's 10 times worse anywhere else in the world. And most of the problems we're dealing with are due to what Britain did to the world 150, 200 years ago, right? Most problems can be linked to colonialism, okay? Mm. All the rules in the worst countries around the world and the 77 countries where it's illegal just to be gay, those were our rules. Those were our rules that got exported Mm. 200 years ago. So it's about gently undoing the stuff, being culpable in the fact that it's not our fault. We didn't do that. We didn't set those systems in motion. But with a little bit of empathy, it's suddenly not big. It's not scary. It's just, hey, you learned something new today that you'll probably pass on to someone else and you're gently going to shift those minds for me education is probably more important than activism but together they almost unlock like a superpower of like things getting done but in a like a comfortable way for everyone so that no one feels pressured because when you feel pressured you're going to get cross about it you don't want to give it your all but if you feel like you're doing it at your own speed it's like okay this is achievable this is nice like learning to ride a bike you take it at your own pace and i think if if everyone is a little bit more open to small changes day to day, more would get done, less people would need to shout and it would feel a lot less scary. Mm, It's really interesting what you said about like people's view of activism because I mean, in this episode, you know, we're going to go on to talk a little bit more about identity and expression and stuff and everyone's been on their own journey with different parts and even like you said at the start of this, we're all multi-hyphenates now, right? We've all got different parts and I recently rewrote my Instagram bio and it I sat there, I'm sure everyone on Instagram has done this, sat there and thought, what on earth do I... Because you've got a character limit, right? Yeah. So you can't put all, possibly put all the things that you do. Um, and I haven't had the word activist in my Instagram bio for a long time. I used to. I used to also have the word feminist in my Instagram yeah. bio, took it out because I was... I kind of fell out of love with the term, fell out of love with the connotation. Same with activism. But I've kind of recently... And this may change again one day, re-embrace yeah. those words. And I do have activists back in my bios again. Have you ever had, have you ever kind of pulled away from the word activism or has it always been, have you always just been a proud activist? Um, I, I think it currently says advocate because mm. 
I think there was last year where everyone was getting cross with activists as sort of saying, if you're going to name yourself an activist and you're not out there on the streets every day, how can you take up that space? So I, I took it back and was like, I'm an advocate. So that's like standing up for the people and helping people learn, but like less frontline stuff. And it's that subtle language change that for me is like, I can be less beholden to others. I am slightly less accountable for the way I choose to perform my activism. I would still call myself an activist. I think, you know, opening your mouth in this world is political. It is activism. However you think about it, you know, it is it is a form of activism. But, you know, there's this view of activism that people, you know, probably the same way people feel about the word feminist. Mm. It's been overtaken by terrible human beings like look at the turf movement they all claim to be feminists mm. and that's kind of the opposite of what feminism was really meant to be but we've had to pull back from using those words because we don't want to be associated mm. with extreme behavior it is interesting i would love to be able to be like a plonk activist back in that instagram bio because i am proud of what i do mm. but it feels like at this point in time the way people on the internet can use your words against you yeah i'm too delicate i'm too fragile mm-hmm. my ego takes too much bruising i'm in too much therapy already i'm too anxious right so it's like taking that a word away for now for me works i think yeah it's funny because this this is not a podcast about social media but no. <laughs> every episode comes back to it because i think as soon you know it is the biggest platform we have to yeah. express an opinion and to reach the people that we need to reach so naturally there's going to be backlash and there's going to be challenges with that yeah. and yeah every single episode seems to be coming back to this where you know it's really hard to navigate how how you present your activism mm. and how you yeah how you show up online is so difficult and it is sometimes down to the detail of words and it yeah it can be a really really tough battle yeah on then to sort of your area of I like to call yeah. it special interest even special though that sounds interest. very corporate Ooh. but um every guest I have on I, I invite to talk about something now when I give people the brief it's you know this is a polit- politics podcast but it's you know like you kind of said before everything is political yeah. you know I've had an episode about mental health and you know some silly episodes some about business because everything comes back to politics in my Unfortunately, mind it does. um Obviously, this is the first time we've met, but yeah. I've followed you online for quite a while. Now, I'm going to kind of let you take the reins on this, but give um, the listeners a bit of context as to why I'm so excited about this conversation with you. Um, I first came across you on Instagram and was totally blown away, first, by colour. Yes. I <laughs> love a bit of colour. but And just straight away, I was like, this looks like a person that I want to get to know. So colourful, so bold, and almost get like instantly a really good sense of your personality from the way you look, right? And I have always been in awe of people who can express themselves in such a bold way i'm quite literally wearing a beige jumper today i've never been that girl <laughs> you look right great, though. <laughs> thank you but i am very much and you know been on my own journey with these things yeah. and you know when i have my daughter i'm like do i dress like a mum now does that say something about sure. who i am like how much of my personality shines through what i wear probably not that much so i'm always amazed when i see someone i'm like they dress like the person they are supposed to be. Yeah. And I know dressing isn't all of it, but it's a huge part sure. of it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to let you take the reins now. I'll stop waffling on. Um, I guess kind of to encapsulate what we were going to talk about, I think you put it really beautifully. I think it was it sort of expressing yourself outside of the gender binary, I think was the way you put it. But yeah. Yeah. Talk, 
talk to me all about it. Yeah. So like, it's really interesting that you said like, you got like a sense of who I was from what you could see. So my specialty during my degree was visual communication. And it was something that I learned that the the things that people see is like 75% of the information we hold about other people. And so you can do a lot with presentation. It's not... Uh, the most important thing, I think it's, it's easy to get it confused with vanity, with surface level ethics. But like, honestly, the way we look says so much in it. You can have a conversation with someone without even having to open your mouth. And so I, you know, for a long while, I was just like using uh, fashion and styling to share my words. It was like, that'll catch you in your tracks. You'll stop. And like 20%, I'll re- retain you and you'll read the caption. And then as I was like growing and developing, I, I realized that I was on a journey with gender that I, you know, I wasn't aware. And I've been doing this for like six, seven years. And I hadn't really sort of figured out where I was, you know, where I sat within the trans community. And I, I suddenly sort of began looking back and I was like, yeah, you, you've really given up this idea of perceived roles of gender. And so for anyone listening that sort of was unaware, like binary gender means either or, male or female. Essentially those options that are given to you when you're born, like what's what gets put on your birth certificate. And that's all measured from biological markers on our body. It's literally like a body lottery, like what parts do you have? That's what letter you're going to get on your birth certificate. And society's set up in this way to sort of be like, that's the most important thing. Like it's always one of the few things that you put on a form. It's like you're always asked it, but it has the least impact on who you can be. And once you understand that your sex isn't that important and that your gender your gender identity the stuff you get to control is the most important thing you're suddenly free it's this idea of freedom people always want like a soundbite from me of what being gender diverse means or what living beyond binaries means it's freedom it's freedom like there are no rules it got to a point where i kept having these questions of I'd like to try this I'd like to explore makeup I'd like to like wear a skirt wear a dress and I stopped going uh and I started going yes and I haven't stopped saying yes to myself for years and yes there have been some mistakes there have been some questionable choices <laughs> they've been archived you will not find have a them wheel. Have no a wheel. but like <laughs> it's all there it's all there in grid posts from years gone by of my growth of my journey and so without realizing it I've been living beyond the binary and I just started to move more into that conversation in my you know content that I shared online and you soon begin to realize that there's a whole audience out there that's like I feel like that too. Tell me more. And that's just what I've been doing. It's, I think, you know, probably the same for you. You never sort of woke up one day and was like, I'm going to do this online job. This is who I am. It's just like, we fall into it. Mm. It's who we become because we're good at it. Because that original impetus to pick the phone up and share that first picture, to write that first caption was because realistically, we wanted to help that one person, right? We wanted either, it was like this idea that we want to help a community or you wanted to create the content that like child you wanted to see. Like I will never let my therapist talk to my inner child. I'm not, I'm not really involved in that conversation, but there is an inner child that has gone through trauma, that has gone through a life not lived fully. And so when you pick up that phone to create that content, that's who you're creating it for. I think in a, you know, in an odd sense, I, for a little while, I thought I was doing this for me. I was trying to make my life better. And I realized that it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work like that because I'd already been through what I'd been through. I'd had my trauma. I'd had my experiences. My role 
was to help the next generation, right? As, you know, as hard and tough as bits of my life have been, 10 times easier than the generation before me. And so my job is to make it 10 times easier for the generation that comes after me. So living beyond the binary is, you know, it's, it sounds expansive. It sounds simple. It's just me being me and hopefully making it an easier ride for everyone else. I hope. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm like absolutely in awe of what you do. And, you know, it's hard enough within you know we're talking about outside of the gender binary you know expressing yourself through fashion and the choices we make mm. how we present ourselves is hard enough within a gender binary yeah. you know i very much have to identify as a woman have never even questioned it but even within that the way we present ourselves as women you know if we dress too skimpily yeah. we're a whore if we cover ourselves in jumpers and tracksuits then we're a slob or we're you know frigid or yeah. unapproachable Completely. you know and there, it's such a difficult middle yeah. ground there is no and the thing for me is i what when i notice this the most is i feel so much more comfortable around people that express themselves yeah. in either the way that i express myself or in the way that i would like to sure if i see for example a plus size woman as a plus size woman if i see a plus size woman embracing her body and wearing a crop top i'm instantly like that's the person i want to be yeah. around they have the same views as me they obviously feel the same way i do it, like i say it gives you you get a sense of who they are straight sure. away by looking at them. And I guess that kind of approachability and being able to engage with other people based on the way they look, is that a big part of it, do you think? Like, do you feel like you almost have a duty to show to other people so that you, you're kind of a safe place for them? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's almost like, it, and that has like two parts. You certainly have this uh, visual identity to attract the right people, to be like, this is your space, this is your energy. And it allows the right people to find you. And, you know, we're talking about, like, the downsides of social media briefly earlier. Social media is also brilliant, right? Because mm. it creates community where there isn't any, right? Because marginalized groups, we are spread out all across the UK, all across the world, but social media brings us together, and that's so brilliant about it. So, yeah, the visual element does allow you to bring people together. But also, in a way, I do find that I will lean towards a softer aesthetic, a silly aesthetic to show the people that might do me harm that I'm not a threat, right? There's a softness to my appearance. There's a irreverence of, I don't take myself too seriously. This isn't, uh, you know, gonna cause you any harm just to make my ride in the real world a little bit easier. It doesn't always work, but it's sort of something that I realized I was doing and it's this like two like prong attack of attract the right people and also don't cause too much notice to those that might do you harm, which is, you know, a darker side of uh, image and identity, but it's realistic. You know, you walk down the street, you're going to cause attention, whatever you do, whatever intersection you exist in. And the, the, the people that tend to do the most harm are the, the least educated, the people that grow up in the, the most insular communities that mm -hmm. have only seen people like them. You know, seeing difference on the internet, on your phone, can only be a good thing. And I think when we talk about gender, it's certainly something that's been seen as a trend, right? Because the last 10 years, we've had this explosion of difference of, I wouldn't say acceptance of difference, but like this idea that we're not going to go anywhere, that we exist anyway. And so I really do get shouted at me a lot, or you're just a trend, you know, in 10 years, you'll have moved on. Mm. But it's really interesting what, 
what you can use to like counter that. And so there's some really great studies into left-handedness and when left-handedness stopped being punishable in schools around the 1900s. And so there's a graph that shows it up to like 1976. And so uh, reported left-handed users goes from like 3% to like somewhere between 10 and 12%. Mm. Unfortunately, the data is gendered, which is super, mm-hmm. super annoying. But what the point is, it, there wasn't more left-handed people. It suddenly, mm. it didn't become a trend. It's just when people have the space to be themselves, more people are open about that. And so those stats go up. And that's the same about trans children, the same about people who are non-binary. It's not that there's more of us, there's more space for us to be ourselves, right? Mm. And so it's this idea that I think the world hasn't really given the full amount of space and there are people every day trying to contract that space around us. Mm. And the more of us that get frustrated about it, the bigger we're going to push back. And that, you know, that's this idea that people can counter your appearance, your words, your thoughts on the internet and in real life. And it's just like, I wish people would take a breath. But I feel like I have to, like, behave accordingly to cause the least damage mm. to everyone involved, right? Because sometimes you can get accosted by someone in the street and your instinct is to, like, curse them out. Like, really show them who you are. But also, what if that's the first trans non-binary person they've met and you give them the impression that we're all mouthy, that we're all difficult? And I feel that responsibility. It sits on my shoulder that's like, no, no, I will act as my mother would want me to do. I will be polite. I will be respectful. I will try and educate that person. That's a lot for a person to bear. Mm. But if I can do that and make it easier for the next time they meet a gender diverse person, job done. I'm thrilled. Mm. I'm not sure that was the question, but we got to an answer. <laughs> totally fine. We lo- I, This podcast is a waffle allowing zone. We love it. <laughs> we love a tangent. Absolutely. Um, I know something I'm really guilty of and something I'm still on a journey with personally is presenting myself differently according to different social contexts and different people, right? Not because it's who I, you know, who I feel I am or who I want to be. And I always think back to, so my career background, I started in construction sales. So I used to sell bricks, ceiling tiles, all that. Very, I was one woman (laughs) in a team of like 12 blokes. My goodness. I was 19. I had bright blonde curly hair and I wore heels to work every single day. Oh, you were that girl. I was that girl. Okay. I loved it. Absolutely loved sure. my job. But, and I was very good at what I did. And I had, you know, great sales figures every single time. But I had a conversation with a really lovely boss I had at the time where I was just like, I'd started dressing differently at work. So I used to go to meetings and wear, you know, kind of like, like say heels or dresses. Cause sure. that's what I wanted to wear. Um, and he kind of noticed that I was dressing differently. So I'd started wearing like the sight trousers yeah. and baggier stuff. And he was like, you know, what, He'd noticed it, which blew my mind that he'd noticed yeah, it. And so I said, well, why, something. you know, you don't have to do that. You can wear what he, I think he thought I'd like, thought there was a uniform sure, policy or something. Sure. So he's like, you don't have to do that. And I was like, well, I'm just worried people aren't going to take me seriously. Yeah. And he said to me, he said, yeah, but that's your superpower. Because he said, yeah, you're right. They're not going to take you seriously. You do not look like somebody that they think is going to give you the best deal on bricks. You just don't. <laughs> but he said, but you are the best salesperson sure. in this team. And putting them on the back foot, you will win that deal every single time. Yeah. And he was totally right. And once I started embracing who I was in that and just being myself and being the ditzy girl who wears pink yeah. in, in heels, because that's the girl I am. Yeah. Um, it totally changed my career and totally changed how I approach these things. But I think I've slipped since then. And I do kind of, you know, certain situations, I am comfortable being who I am, but I will 
you know, dress in a more demure or, you know, acceptable manner. Yeah. And I really wish I didn't do that. And that's something I'm on. Is that something you struggle with ever? Or is that something you've totally overcome? I think you, if you looked at my social media, you'd be like, absolutely not. But like social media is 5% of my mm. real life. Yeah, I do dress down. I do change my appearance depending on where I'm going. Like if I'm like running to the co-op in my local town, I am not going to wear what you see on Instagram. It's just not safe for me. And that, you know... But I have also been on that journey with realizing that dressing in the exact way you want to, it does give you a lot of confidence. It does give you this ability to almost, I call myself the uh, the trans Lorraine Kelly. So she <laughs> plays herself for tax reasons on TV. <laughs> and sometimes I have to get dressed as mm. Ben Peachy to do that job, right? I'm not always that bubbly, effervescent, confident person. Sometimes I just feel like shit. Mm. And sometimes I don't feel like doing my job, but I put my face on, I'll put a silly pink skirt suit on, and suddenly I'm the person you need and you expect to see. And so clothing can offer reassurance it can offer confidence it can also be like a support system until you're ready and able to have those conversations with people let the clothing do the talking you know if you want to express yourself but don't have the words to do it as so many of us do like being effective communicators is hard but clothes will say enough for you and so yeah i do find myself if i want to you know make a good impression or i'm working with like a tricky corporate client i will dress extra super silly because i want to really highlight that i'm an outsider to this space mm. i am not what you expect and i'm going to blow your mind and you're going to be even more welcome to that idea of change because it's me that's done it right mm. and i think that can be really really helpful and so i i am in these corporate spaces wearing stupid bright pink dresses with like a tie and you know irreverent jewelry because i just don't care about what's expected of me and i think that is probably one of the hardest things and that's why a lot of us shape shift into mm. what we expect it's like people pleasing through wardrobe we're like what do you think the room expects of you i'll dress slightly differently like when you meet uh, a partner's parents for the first time did you dress like you or did you give them what you thought they wanted mm. you to see and so it's this idea of we probably all need to stop people pleasing a little bit and if we all stopped the world would look really really different but you can do it gently in small ways for yourself. You know, if you're not mm. able or don't feel safe, for example, in a workplace to do that funny, find something small that makes you you. So for example, you maybe not going to wear like silly dresses and heels, but you might wear colorful tights mm. or you might wear like, but there's always a bold earring person in office. <laughs> there's always one person like that. Find, or you do it through your glasses, you know, mm. some, find a small way to gently express yourself because I think it can be hard to look at me and look at my content and think, oh shit, I need to do it all right now. I didn't. I'm still learning. And I, you know, I would hate anyone to jump in the deep end just because it looks like I already have. Like I'm still really, really feverishly paddling and still trying to work stuff out. So just take it gently, I think is the best advice I can give. Mm, I think it's such an... In such an important space to hold and it almost puts an unfair burden on you and people like you who do go all out and just an extra silly to make that point and I think about you know if you're in this boardroom this corporate setting and there might be somebody sat there who maybe wants to just try wearing pink yeah and they've been scared to do that seeing you go all out is going to give them that confidence because if you can do all that then of course they can do it that little step and you know that goes across everything like when I think about like plus size women yep. you know the amount of 
times they kind of go, oh, I don't know about wearing this, but then we'll see someone even bigger than them. Well, if they can do it, of course I can do it. And it's, yeah, yeah it does put a bit of an unfair burden on you, but I think it is such an important space to hold. Yeah, and also it's that phrase, you can't be what you don't see, and it is a little bit flawed. And so if you still can't see who you think you are, you have to be the person you want to see to help other people, A, see you, but also see that potential in themselves. And it's always the smallest thing that you're like, really surprised about like i remember doing uh, a zoom course for uh, a failing drinks company mm-hmm. google it you'll be able to find out who them i signed in <laughs> yeah i can't tell you but like i wore really bright red lipstick to that and i remember someone sort of afterwards messaging me on instagram being like i'd never wore, wore red lipstick in a corporate space and i saw you doing it what shade were you wearing they bought it they wore it to the next meeting and they felt really powerful you're right you never know who you can inspire and you're right it is a burden but if I can do like 10% silliness to help other people, and at the end of the day, I want to go to bed feeling like a good person, like mm. I am crippled with anxiety and I am worried that the world hates me, <laughs> doing that in a little way makes me, with sedatives, be able to sleep soundly. <laughs> and it's worth it. Yeah, I think you're the second person in this podcast that is like, I'm so busy, I need sedatives to sleep. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's something, yeah, these political minds, we're all the same. We all, none of us sleep, but nope. we're all on all the time. Completely. It's just the way it is, but I don't think we'd have it any other way. <laughs> oh, not at all. Um, so think, as you said, you know, you maybe didn't previously like write to MP or know how to be like more sort of specifically politically engaged. Yeah. Um, where where do you put yourself at the minute in terms of what you'd like to see change politically and kind of what you'd like, you know, the bods in Westminster to do with regards to gender expression? Is there anything going on at the minute, any kind of legislation or anything that people can understand about? Um, it's a difficult place to be because we're on our third cabinet <laughs> in a month. Yeah. And, 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 you know, depending when this comes out, we might be on another yeah, prime who minister. Knows? <laughs> who knows? And so we are really halted on any legislations going mm. through. Our Minister for Women and Equality is one of the most terrible human beings yeah. I have ever met. And not even met them, but uh, their stance on what trans people need and deserve is truly, you know, really, really bad. Their mm. voting history is really, really bad. There's, you know, every single appointment to this cabinet most of them. So Theresa May's government, Theresa May, terrible prime minister, bad MP, really bad voting record. She had two openly LGBTQ plus ministers in her cabinet, not on the back bench, in her mm. cabinet. Rishi Sunak's government has none. Mm. The only person that is even slightly pro trans rights is the education minister whose name I have forgotten, <laughs> but is, has an idea that I, and she's been quoted that trans people deserve peace and deserve spaces that make them feel accepted and also need affirming care. And I was also very focused on mental health and ensuring that there's an increased budget on it. And voting track record seems to be towards more inclusive voting and so that's like the only chink of like sunlight in a absolute piss thunderstorm that is our current Mm. government and it's this idea that unfortunately in like both leadership's races trans people became the weaponized debate i've never heard so many grown-ups say to the question are trans women women they said the word no which Mm. is utter bullshit and it it sends shivers down my spine. It makes me want to punch a desk. It makes me want to scream at people because 
it, it's ridiculous. And those are the people that are shaping legislation. This trust, the, the last prime minister, went, in her time as a qualities minister, stopped the reform on the DRA. So that's the Gender Recognition Act. Mm. And I worked quite closely campaigning for that. And Stonewall, the charity in the UK, worked tirelessly to get people to, to go through this consultation to show the then Theresa May Conservative government that we need massive changes. You know, there are laws in place, for example, this is the one I always use in sessions with big businesses, that if you want to transition and you're married, your spouse has more say over whether you can transition or not than you do. They have the right to block it. Mm. So you would then have to divorce and then start that process again. You know, trans healthcare has a wait of around 45 months. Mm. That's up to five years. And that's just to get your first appointment. That's not to do anything in regards to accessing healthcare, hormones, surgeries, therapy. It's just to say for the doctor to go, oh yes, you're mentally ill because you want to transition. By the way, to transition is still considered a mental illness in the UK. And so that's just to start that process. And so that reform could have done so much. The only thing that changed is it's now online and it costs a fiver. That's all that changed. And there's Mm. other countries in the world that have gone out and done it and have shown how easy to do. Argentina, for God's sake. Argentina, Argentina that's not great in human rights, how allow easy people to to transition and to, yeah, and it, it, it winds me up and the current government is going to do even worse by queer, trans, gender diverse people. It It's to the point where I think I'm not ready now, but do I myself want to go into politics to try and change this? I don't know how else we're going to do it. Mm. Unless you have people that represent those communities how are we going to change anything? You know, mm. for so long, there was no progressions in women's rights because government was ran by old, stuffy white cis men. Mm. And so now there are women in politics, in policy change, in legislation, and it's beginning to become more of a level pay field. But there's still a gender pay gap, right? And that gender pay gap gets worse when you compare black women, for example, to white mm. women. There are so many things. It's not just one. And uh, yeah, if you know, if I could talk to anyone that could do anything to change it, we need a radical brand new government. And, and I think change the entire system because it's flawed, it's rotted, it's not working for the actual people in this country. Uh, can I see that much reform happening? No, but will I try and will I continue to talk about it completely? Because mm. it's, it's a real bin of rubbish at the minute. It really is. And I think, I, I don't know about you, but it, this year even, just it seems to have been amplified yeah. so much. And particularly, like you said, the Liz Truss-Sunak leadership election was, the trans debate became such a like pivotal part of that, which yeah. seems completely random as well. Like, obviously, you know, to us in the spaces we move in, yeah. it's a big talking point but it almost it almost became a talking point for them because they knew it would yeah you know the anti-trans sentiment would work and that it felt so disheartening even to me who's somebody outside of that community but it's a tory party like trick that they pull every single Mm. time so when thatcher was losing power was losing votes she brought out section 28 which was the anti-queer legislation in schools sort of like you cannot actively sort of support anyone talking about being gay being bi being a lesbian or as they called it pretended family values and that lasted right up until in 2003 so Mm. the tory party will continue to do that and you know i think you know in the past 
six months Theresa May has sort of been like girl bossed yassified people are like <laughs> yeah. getting on board with her but she was one of the like one of the many MPs mm. that when it was asked to be repealed in 2000 vote against it mm. and went on record to say this was a win for traditional family values the Tory party will continue to its weaponized politics it's the fact that it's even called the trans debate where people were not a debate and mm. you know there are people that say it better than I ever could and so read Sean Faye's The Trans Issue you know and look at um, Travis Alabanza's book you know none of the above and that really goes into the depth and detail of how much we've become a weaponized issue that isn't even an issue at all we represent less than one percent of the population mm. why is that the biggest issue in a leadership debate it really really shouldn't be but here we are Mm, and it's totally it's not a one-party issue either like even as somebody who is very openly affiliated with the labor party massive issues within the labor party with anti-trans sentiment huge issues and you know this is something i um i keep bringing up my mum on this podcast because she's the person i have the most political discussions with but my mum's um an almost 60 year old academic who moves in very left-wing circles but because of yeah this sort of uh twitter group of middle-aged academic women yep are generally the biggest group of turfs right that is where they all sit and that is and she was kind of why am i seeing so much anti-trans sentiment because she isn't anti-trans right she's yep. very, and she's like why am i seeing it i'm like because your peers are in that group that for some reason seem to feel attacked as women or so which i don't understand I don't know anything anywhere near enough about it to understand why it happens to be that particular section of society that feel like that but I'm sure it, it's weird being in those bubbles that you'd think. And like you say that we said earlier, claim to be feminists and are absolutely the antithesis of what it means to me anyway to be feminist. Yeah, the amount of like comments that I will get that will, you know, try and force binary gender back on me and they'll end it with women saying no. Mm. And it's like, what women? Real women? No. It's a very small group of this idea that, you know, their rights are being infringed or that, you know, they're suddenly going to be overlooked. But what I think so many people miss out on, the, the more specific rights become, the more intersectional rights become, mm. the better it is for everyone, right? If you think that trans rights are removing women's rights, trans rights will make it easier for women. Trans rights will make it easier for women to feel safe, to be protected. But there's this whole section on the internet, and I I hate to say it it is angry women for a large amount and you know that's who's fueling the lgb alliance which is uh i don't want us to get sued they are a registered charity in the uk and they are obviously not a hate group <laughs> they are um that probably will get us sued actually <laughs> if you are watching from the lgb alliance i didn't mean it um and it's this idea that you know they're shouting for what they think people want but people mm. don't want that you know most people wouldn't be bothered by trans rights but because it's become a media ferrari we have all it's almost become like propaganda we're Mm. seen as this big scary trans monster we're just people Mm. right i work with somebody called red uh the dsc and he's forever saying trans people buy dog food right we do we do normal shit like everyone else is doing we just want to get on with our days Mm. most of us don't want to engage in the trans debate because there isn't one there is no debate to our existence i'm here that's that done and uh yeah it's 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 so hard to like not switch off from it because there are days when you're like, I can't look at this clusterfuck of internet. I can't, but it's just, you know, 
it's holding your ground and i hope one day we'll get somewhere there's no this you know there's no perfect utopia it doesn't exist i remember thinking about this and writing about it and the artist and activist scotty was like i love scotty he was like that just could never exist Mm. and i was like oh you're damn right i want people to have a difference of opinion i want people to think differently to me all i'm asking for is the space to have the respect because i would offer that to anyone right Mm. and i think that's all anyone really needs is for now just a bit of space just to be ourselves and to be left alone right in a nice way (laughs) totally and i think we do and also you know we've talked a lot there are a lot of challenges and we've we've talked a lot about them and it does sometimes seem so bleak but um like we touched on briefly earlier there are some amazing things going on particularly online there is a sense of community like i've never seen before there are people have found ways of expressing themselves through dances on tiktok through silly colors of crocs on instagram like people have got this like you say freedom is such a big word and it's such a people have found these communities and i um a friend of mine said to me recently like imagine when we were 12 and 13 we didn't have access to the world like these people do now and being that weirdo at home thinking no one else is like me there's now kids that age where they can find people exactly like them who are in, you know, across the world, they're in America, they're in India, wherever they might be, but they've got this common ground of feeling like an outsider. And that to me is so beautiful and so important. And yeah, it amazes me. You know, you mentioned some amazing people like that, Travis Alabanza, Scotty, some people doing incredible work that, that, you know, are the role models, yourself included, for, <laughs> for it is, you know it, you know it. Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> for the next generation and the thing. Um, yeah, there is, it's it's beautiful and amazing. And yeah, what have you seen that has kind of made you happy online recently? Oh my goodness. I, I like stuff that's not related to what I talk about day in, day out. So my friend, Sophie Williams, who's an author, she wrote Millennial Black and in, an incredible seminal text that looks at like the, the workplace barriers placed on black women in the UK. And her friend Felicity uh, Hayward, also my friend as well, who's plus size model, one of Britain's first like industry leading. They have this content called Kitchen Confidential, where they take like 60s and 70s recipes and they make this god awful food. Like I've never seen so much <laughs> stuff in jelly. And it's just, you know, it takes me back to the days when Instagram was fun. Mm. When Instagram was just about like shit posting. It's that like one post a day where you're like, I feel good about this. Mm. And it's this idea that not everything we put online has to be about likes, about engagement, about traction, about money. It can just be about fun. And so, yeah, Kitchen Confidential is something that's like, will always make me smile because they're doing it for the love of what they're doing, not for any other reason. And it's enjoyable. It, you know, it makes me smile. And it's almost like the freedom I miss in my own content Mm. that I have no more because I have this platform. I have a voice. I'm expected to say X, Y, Z. And so like, there's that like looseness that I don't always have anymore. Mm. But you know, I reclaim in other ways, but yeah, I wish that we were all a bit more free online. Yeah. It can sometimes when you do kind of claim that space as an activist or an advocate or whatever, it can, can feel a bit restraining. And I know that's, that's definitely something I've felt with my like online journey. Um, I sort of positioned myself as, you know, I'm going to talk about politics online. Yes. And then I was kind of like, oh, 
but I I like pretty dresses and I want to share my pretty dresses online. Are people going to take me less seriously or are people going to unfollow because that's not the content they want? And I've really let go of that recently and been like, do you know what? If I want to share my new shoes, I'm going to share my new shoes because I am a woman who enjoys fashion, who also happens to be an activist and I'm also a parent. I'm all these things. And yeah, online spaces can make that a little bit different. And sometimes finding those little things we have in common, like silly kitchen things or whatever it might be, are so unifying because when you know in queer communities we're not just the only thing we have in common isn't just that we're queer right it's you know i have queer friends and all we do is talk about real housewives because that's our joint love you know that's do you know what your line would be if you were a housewife (laughs) no no, and i did a real housewives themed hen party recently it was amazing i'm a great hen party host um and I thought we were going to play that game and we never got around to it. And yeah, I, yeah, I've always held her uh, off. Of, they did it on Drag Race in season seven as a mini challenge. And I've always, <laughs> it was either Trixie or Cassie. It was like, how do I sleep at night? Ask your husband. That's the one I've always <laughs> held on to. And I would be like, if I had my diamond, that. that's what I would say. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about it. I'll like yeah. edit it into this episode. So I'm really organized. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. This, we are so much more than, yeah. you know, these labels and these labels and identifiers are so important, but it, we they're do not the have, be all and end all, they are, right? Yeah. We're more than our letters, our acronym, our intersections. And it's this idea that, you know, we've almost become, and I say it, I've said it time and time again on multiple platforms that we've, like, we started playing intersectional Pokemon, got to catch them all. <laughs> but we're not like to be caught and held. We're, we're mm. people at the same time. And it's like, Having that boundary of, I will talk about this, I won't talk about this, and I'm going to claim my corner of the internet, and I'm going to share silly stuff with you as well. It's that fine line. And I think, you know, as you know, as the government changes, social media changes every single day. Every time you go on Instagram, a button's in a slightly different place. Yeah. They've taken away a feature. So, like, if they're going to do that, we may as well redefine what we want to use that space for. Because mm. at the end of the day, in five years' time, Instagram might not exist anymore. And we were like, oh, can you believe when we all obsessed about that? Mm. I think if we all treat it with a bit more fun, and that's why TikTok is so refreshing, because yeah. it just doesn't matter in the same way. And mm. you can make just as much of an impact with that content. And so I think, yeah, I'm I'm trying, like you are, in a, in a gentle way, to like redefine that space for myself. Mm. I haven't got there yet, but like, I'm working on it. Mm. Right. And so to kind of round things off nicely then, so obviously you you are what I would call an expert in this, whether Ooh. you want to claim that word or not, <laughs> it's up to you. But um, if you were going to, you know, think about this, a tiny, a baby Ben, for example, yeah. somebody who wants to start playing with their gender expression or somebody who's maybe considering it or thinks, you know, that's maybe something I want to try. What sort of words of, quite often we're looking for comfort, right? Yeah. Words of comfort, not even necessarily encouragement, but just something that makes these scary things, which can be quite scary, um, just make that feel a little bit easier. Um, what would you say to somebody wanting to take that first step? I think find examples, right? Go to the internet, go to a library, find role models that have done this before. I think we quite often think, especially with gender and whether it's being trans, being non-binary, it feels quite fresh, it feels quite new, but there are literally thousands of people that have been on this planet longer than you that have done it before you. One of my favourite examples is Claude Cahoon that was an artist in the 20s and 30s, like 100 years ago. And you look at their work and it feels super modern, super fresh. They use self-portrait to explore gender role, uh, political body shape, all that kind of thing. And it's like seeing that person gives me like 
purpose. It gives me reason to be. And it's, you know, this idea that someone did this before I did and it was okay, right? It didn't end completely terribly. And so that's like something that you can do. But then also like, one of my favorite things to do, and I, I share it quite nicely in my book, mm-hmm. The Book of Non-Binary Joy, nice Hello, <laughs> is, you know, like when I was a kid, we would always buy school shoes the last week of summer holidays. And my mum was always adamant that we had to wear those around the house before we went to school. Mm-hmm. So that day one, there was no blisters, no complaints. That woman, she had things to do. She did not want tears, right? <laughs> so she was like prepping us for that. And it's this idea that you can try whatever you want whatever form of identity whether that's clothing makeup hair a lack of hair a lack of makeup try at home get comfy Mm. with it as soon as you step out onto the street you are faced with other people's judgment and what people can do whether they're trying to or not is go why have you picked this are you comfortable and if you're adjusting yourself if you're like oh i'm not sure they're gonna pick up on that Mm. and you're suddenly gonna feel twice as uncomfortable but if you've got used to you in that setting in that situation with different hair different makeup different clothes they can't take that comfort away. And so, you know, that's something I recommend in the book, which is, you know, from 12 up is try at home, get comfortable, remove that opportunity to get blisters of rubbing into other people the first time you wear them outside the house, mm. get comfy. And that way you're in control of that narrative. I, I shared some content for coming out day a couple of weeks ago and everyone was sort of like what I'd seen online was, yeah, do it. Best thing ever. Jump for it. And I was like, take your time. Do not think you need to do it. It's the best thing you'll ever do. It will free you. But if you are not ready to have that conversation with everyone you meet, because we never come out once, we come out 8,000 times, Mm -hmm. right? If you're not ready to have that conversation, don't put yourself in that position. Wait, be comfortable, get comfortable in your own skin. I wish everyone, you know, if I wish I'd had that time. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd had that opportunity. I didn't, you know, from like nine onwards, everyone told me who I was. You know, my my peers, teachers, friends of my parents, I knew what they thought of me, what they saw in me. And I didn't even understand those words. So I would give, you know, anyone that's thinking of like exploring gender in any way, shape or form, any age, you know, we just talk about it in terms of children, but people transition in their sixties, right? Do it in a slow, comfortable way. There is no rush. I know like time is not finite, but also we have got time. And I think to not rush would be my biggest and best advice. Oh, thank you. That's such a lovely way to end the podcast. That's really heartwarming. And yeah, I think quite a lot of us, I think, think if we had us when we were younger, like what a safer space it would be. So hopefully we can be those people. We are those people. We are those people. people. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for coming on, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. Such a, such a lovely conversation. Um, I will tell everybody where they can find you in the episode notes. Um, I am going to go home and order your book because I haven't read it yet. So shamefully haven't read it, but I will read it because I'm so excited to hear everything you've got to say about this topic so yeah thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me what a pleasure huge thank you to ben for having this conversation with me i really hope you enjoyed this episode ben has recently announced their exciting new role as an ambassador for diversity role models and if you want to check out more of ben's work you can find them on instagram at ben peachy where you can see some of the great stuff they go up to i would also highly recommend ben's book the book of non-binary joy which is available at all good bookshops if you want to keep up to date with this podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Politics and Pints Pod. You can support the podcast by leaving a review and subscribing on whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. Yeah.